Hello, and welcome to EPR with your favorite environmental nerds, Nick and Laura. On today's episode of EPR, we give our shout outs. Nick and I talk about rescuing pets. Fred Wagner returns to give us an update. That's like Batman returns. Fred Wagner returns <laughs> to give us updates on environmental policy, cabinet appointees, and Biden's proposed infrastructure plan and what it means for environmental professionals. And finally, Okay, hold on. Let's see if I can do this. <laughs> on this day in science in 1960, so far so good, the <laughs> oldest bat in the United States, like flying animal, yeah. yep. was mm-hmm. identified as 24 years old, having been banded on June 22nd, 1937 in Mashpee, Massachusetts. <laughs> this little female brown bat, actual uh-huh. name, Myotis lucifugus, <laughs> the most abundant bat in the U.S., and was found in a cave in Mount Aeolus, Vermont. <laughs> I mean, uh, you did it. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, we really should have gone with the electron was discovered in 1897. I just wanted to give you something hard to say again. That's really all I did. <laughs> I love that. So I'm, I'm okay with that. But I <laughs> did cool. have to, that really focused, forced me to take my time there. <laughs> so anyway, be sure to subscribe, rate, and review before you leave. And I don't know if you all could see what I was doing with my hands while I'm trying to read that. It's <laughs> quite entertaining in itself. Go ahead and hit that music. And now it's time for our shout outs. We want to congratulate Michael Smith for starting a new position as the Director of Environmental Process and Policy at WSP. And I just want to say also, Michael has been really instrumental in getting the NEPA track for our conferences together. Really, really appreciative of his support. Today's episode is sponsored by Venable LLP, which is one of the nation's leading law firms. Venable's management reflects a commitment to diversity and inclusion through a broad category of hiring, training, and educational activities. The firm's environmental practice group works with clients across the country in major infrastructure development, including NEPA compliance and resource agency permitting. Venable encourages volunteer activities in professional environmental associations, as reflected by Frag Wagner's membership on the NAEP board of directors. Join us for the NAEP conference May 17th through the 20th. We have a pretty exciting announcement to make today. Brenda Mallory, the chair for the Council on Environmental Quality, will be one of our keynote speakers on May 19th at 4 p.m. Eastern. So please do check that out at naep.org. Let's get to our segment. Okay, so we got to do a segment for Fred. What are we going to talk about? Yeah, so I hate to do this, but can you read me the topics again? <laughs> sure. This is part of it, by the way. We're leaving this all in. See, Fred's topics were fostering dogs and uh, growing up in New York City in a tiny apartment with okay, four stop. people. We can talk about dogs. Dogs. Okay. We can talk about dogs. <laughs> or pets in general or something. Pets in general. All right, so let's do pets. So talking with Fred, I was sad that you weren't there. Uh, wasn't the same without you. So, I was sad too. You know, we managed. You know, yeah, Fred and I were both were a little disappointed you weren't there, but you know, we managed. Okay, and I uh, think it was a. I did it on purpose. It was a growth opportunity. <laughs> yeah, just uh, letting me spread my wings and fly. Huh? So, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, we did talk about a few things. But I know, like one that's that's pretty near and dear to our hearts. Uh, and he talked about fostering dogs and, you know, like how rewarding and yeah. um, that experience is for him and, uh, and his, his wife. And I think it was just a really great thing. So it's at the beginning of the interview with Fred and it's really, really admirable thing that he does. But we both, you know, have a pretty strong connection to animals, I'd say. Right. I mean, yeah, for sure. Right. We've got a podcast on the episode. So 
We have podcast. You have cats. Yeah. Not really on the show made an appearance yet. No, no, no. they're hidden. But no, we have one. My, you know, really, we have a couple of cats. But my favorite is Bad Charlie, and I call him that because he's both the cutest and worst thing that could happen <laughs> happen to our house. He's so adorable that it makes it really hard to be mad at him. But yeah, uh, that's a good yeah. cat behavior. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So I don't know. You've got you've got Toby. Do you have another cat too? I have another cat. Her name is Texas. Her full name is Don't Mess with Texas. <laughs> So we both have good names. All right. That's yes. Great. She came from a home life situation that was not ideal. And yeah. I'd brought her to this nonprofit that does spay and neuters for stray animals. And mm. when I came to pick her up, they were like, um, she went a little wild. Oh no. And I was like, uh, you do this all day long. How crazy could she have been? <laughs> yeah, seriously. What was the story behind that? It was just this family, my a friend had found this kitten who was super sweet and then mm-hmm. they took her in and then they just, this is in Florida. They just sort of, not that that matters or doesn't matter, but. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. That's a cool this is in Florida. So, you know, not a surprise. <laughs> um, they thought it was funny to like play hard with her and, and mm. then, and just like snap towels. I don't think there was like hard physical abuse, but it was just more like mental torture yeah, and it was just really ignorance you know what i mean like yes. this is not how you treat another living thing and mm. i got a chance to rescue her they were complaining about her at christmas time when the tree was up like heaven forbid a kitten is messing with your ornaments <laughs> and yeah, so i was like you know said. what yeah. let me take her and it was literally a situation where i was like if she can't be because they just were like she's crazy they didn't see any of their own fault in it mm, and so yeah. I was like, well, let me see if I can rehabilitate her. And I was a little concerned that I couldn't. And then the magical thing was, and this is like the power of care and love. And I try to think about this for people too, when you meet people who are a little, have been treated rough. Yes. Um, yep. She was terrifyingly scary. Like I, she was <laughs> in the crate in my bathroom and I would go in there and not make eye contact to her because she'd be growling and oh, wow. I would put food down and then I would leave. And then after she got spayed, <laughs> they were like, here's her medicate, her oral medication. I was like, I don't know how I'm no, going to give that no, to her. Yeah, right, right, right. <laughs> so um, two days later, after she got spayed and had visited the vet, I went to put her food down and I'm not looking at her, but she came over and headbutted my hand. Yeah. And it was like, whoa. Yeah. This, this could actually happen. You know, she was probably feeling better. She'd never been to the vet and like all kittens have worms and, yes. um, yep. you know, they just hadn't taken care of her. And then, so it's been a long journey and she still is not trusting of people, which is so funny because we do Airbnb and she loves when people, she loves people, but yeah. she's like, she will turn on you and just say like, don't mess with <laughs> I'm me. I'm done. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Claws out. Yeah. yeah. She used to play rough because that's what she was taught. So you'd walk by her and she'd snarl and grab your leg or whatever but um now (laughs) my boyfriend now she loves and she snuggles the heck out of him um she's she's found a human she can trust and it's Mm -hmm. like completely different but yeah don't mess with texas (laughs) yeah that's really funny that's i mean that makes sense you know it's great yeah and you know we also have a dog that uh yeah, yeah. <laughs> I laugh and about I, that because you hardly yeah, ever talk I about never talk dog. about it. It was like four months later, you're like, I have a dog. I have a dog. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry, Penny. I'm sorry. But, you know, she was rescued from a, a shelter, but was so abused that she was too scared to walk towards a person. She Aww. crawled on her belly to her rescue. Aww. 
And, um, you know, it's just, that's heartbreaking. And she still has a lot of anxiety now from that experience, but she's a very sweet dog, you know, even though she does love to get like right in your face, like, right. She's like, I'm not touching you. It's fine. I'm not touching you, you know, but, uh, (laughs) but yeah, she's, so it's, it's, again, it's a a really good heartwarming story, but uh, yeah, pound puppies and kitties are the best. So yeah. Thanks to people like Fred for doing foster care and other people who avoid the breeders and go to those animals that need homes. And I think Fred's story fits right in with that. So let's hear what he's up to. All right. Sounds good. Let's get to the interview. Welcome back to EPR. Today, we are happy to bring back Fred Wagner, a partner of Venable LLP. Fred, it's great to have you back on the show. It's great. I'm glad that nothing's happened since the last time we talked. <laughs> right, right. And uh, we will get into it, I promise. Uh, but, I, you know, when we talked to you last time, you'd mentioned that you started fostering dogs during the pandemic. And I wanted to touch base with you on that. What inspired you to do it and how's it going? Well, we ended up fostering eight dogs. Wow. And, yeah. half, and happily, all eight dogs have been adopted. That's great. By families all around suburban Maryland. And we did it because I've wanted a dog for my entire adult life. And we were just out of the house too much. We had so much going on with the kids. We just, it wasn't fair to the the dog, we didn't think. And and we didn't know if we could take care of it the way we should. So about a year ago, my wife said, you know, it looks like we're going to be here. (laughs) for a a while now and as long as you're working at home just about all the time and i'm teaching from home as she was most of the time yeah um, this looks like a good time to to try a dog and how about you know what would you think about fostering and a very dear friend of the family heads up a local rescue league in montgomery county oh yeah and we let her know that we were beginners you know we were just starting out on this so she was very (laughs) careful with us and helped us you know, find, you know, very gentle and, and easy dogs to, to foster. And it was just a fantastic experience. We learned so much about us, about, you know, having an animal in the house. Now, Mary's starting school in person on Monday. Okay, as, yeah. As it turns out. So our, right now, our fostering experience is on hold. I got to tell you, if we didn't do that, if that hadn't been something we yeah. did in the pandemic, I don't know how we would have kept our sanity. Uh, <laughs> For sure. it, it was just a great way. It got us outside. It took our attention off of the news and onto, you know, this creature all of a sudden that's, that's in our home. Yeah. So it, I recommend it for anybody who is thinking about a dog is ensure they can take care of one because eventually somebody adopts them, you know? Yeah. And, and so it's like two to four weeks and it saves like there were several dogs that we literally received yeah. the day after they were scheduled to be put down. Oh my gosh. And so yeah. we were able to s- save the dog and then yeah. get them ready to be adopted permanently. So it's a great feeling and a great experience. Absolutely. And those animals, those dogs are such loving animals. And, you know, for you to be able to give them that reprieve is incredible. And, and some of the people still send us uh, yeah. uh, posts. They'll yeah, send of us texts. Hey, here's a picture. And then you see the dog, you know, in, in its bed at, at home or playing with, there's another dog in the house playing with the other dog. You just, yeah. you just feel great about it. So if you're ever looking for a good volunteer activity where there's literally no downside, literally yeah. no downside, uh, fostering is way up there. Yeah. Well, that's great. And you also said you mentioned you grew up in New York City, right? Was it Brooklyn? You grew Brooklyn, up in New York, right? Uh, in the shadows of the Verrazano Bridge. Right. So that's, 
that area, that whole area has changed quite a bit over the years. So what was it like growing up there and how is it now? Well, I mean, people don't remember about Brooklyn, how big it is. Yeah. You know, yeah. Uh, if you remember the show, Welcome Back, Cotter, uh, <laughs> on yeah. TV, you would go on the highway and you'd say, welcome to Brooklyn, the fourth largest city in America. <laughs> right. If it was all, if the borough was on its own, that's how big it is. Wow. And so I lived way at the tip in Bay Ridge, uh, near the bridge. But if you lived in, you know, Brooklyn Heights, or if you lived out in Mill Basin, you know, that, that was almost Queens. Right. And, right. and it was like a, a 45 minute car ride. Yeah. Still yeah. in Brooklyn. So my neighborhood was and remains unbelievably the same in the sense really? that, yeah, in the sense that it is a residential area, mm-hmm. apartments, homes, and whatnot. It's right near the water. So there's great you know, amenities by Shore Road and the park right by the bridge. And it's a very culturally mixed community. When I grew up in the spring from, let's say, the beginning of April through June, there was yeah. a different cultural parade every weekend yeah. along Fifth Avenue in Bay Ridge, right past my house. <laughs> right, and there's right. the Greek Day Parade, the Norwegian Day Parade, the Puerto Rican Day Parade, yeah. the Israeli Independence Day Parade. Literally every, every week. weekend there was one. Yeah. Now, some of the groups have changed, right? right. So some groups have moved out found different areas and other groups have moved in. But it still retains that flavor. Lots of different, you know, kind of ethnic restaurants, yeah. um, lots of different kinds of people. So Bay Ridge is a, a little microcosm of, you know, the melting pot of New York City. And because it's mostly residential, it has stayed largely the same. Of course. It was a true city experience growing up in Bay Ridge, Brooklyn. I have, I have friends that live in Brooklyn and, you know, I've been there plenty myself. And it's uh, the, the space that you have. And, you know, it's just so much smaller. Then it would be another, you know, in, in a suburban America. Like, was it like like a one bedroom apartment? Was it was it actually a, you know, was, how was big a, was it? It was a one bedroom apartment, right? And, yeah. and my parents put up one of those folding walls, like, like yeah, you might see yes, in the yes. center, but really small, right? Of course. And it would cut their bedroom like by two thirds, one third, and there was a little sleep sofa yeah. on that part. And every night I would open up the sleep sofa, and that's where I slept until I was like twelve. Mask. Yeah, and then eventually, when my sister moved out, there was you know they cut off the kitchen and they created a teeny weeny bedroom, you know where the kitchen yeah. used to be. So it, the kitchen ended up being basically wide enough to walk into, yeah, and open the refrigerator. <laughs> uh, so you do get yeah. a sense, like you know, when I started looking, you know, when I you know was in the work world and my wife wanted to buy a house. And she yeah. says, "Do you have an idea how much space you need?" And I, and I said, "Honey, you don't understand." Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Anything that we're going to yeah. look at is going to be so much more than I ever, ever had. appreciated oh, in my life. So, but uh, yeah, I love growing up there and trying to go back after all this is over to see how the neighborhood's looking. Yeah, great. Oh, that's great. Well, yeah, thank you again for the stories. I always appreciate those. But let's get to it. You know, you mentioned, you know, nothing again, nothing has happened, quote unquote, <laughs> since last <laughs> we talked. It's been, it's been incredible. Like there's been so many updates in policy and it's really hard to keep track of them. You know, we were talking yesterday and now there's more, you know. So do you have an update for us on the rollback of regulations and agency policies? Yeah, I do. I think that for people trying to follow it, the sort of best way to think about it is the different sort of buckets or categories of things that are going on at each of the different agencies and in the federal government overall. Mm -hmm. There are certain things that now that leaders are all in place, I think all the agencies have their leaders now. 
executive policies and executive orders in each of those agencies that the current administration felt were, uh, were inconsistent with current policies, largely they're being rescinded. Yeah. They're, they're, they're just being taken off the books. The best example is recently the new Secretary of the Interior, Deb Hound, rescinded over about a dozen secretarial orders, they're called at the Department of the Interior. Okay. Yeah. That former Secretary Zinke and Secretary Bernhardt had put in place, largely to, in their mind, facilitate the development of natural resources on federal lands, yeah. the, the processes by which they did it. But more important, also the review and the responsibility within the department you know, for each of those sorts of actions. And a lot of those now are gone. And that's absolutely within the secretary's right. A secretary yeah. order lives only as long as it's in effect yeah. and the next secretary can, can take it away. Uh, right. There are other policies like the EPA where there was a general policy and standard for cost-benefit analyses. You know, the agency's working really hard to get rid of that now. And that's crucial because if there are any new regulatory actions, any new measures, how OMB reviews those regulations under the cost-benefit analysis is huge. And, And how the agency goes out to the public in the prior administration had a policy whereby the benefits of the cost-benefit analysis were much, much more restrained and constrained for the agency to assess. And now, obviously, that's going to be reversed. So it's not the actual regulation. It's how the regulation gets evaluated, like that old commercial. We don't make the product. We make the product better. It's not the regulation, but how it makes the regulation. (laughs) You you see what I mean? And that's just a policy that was just reversed. The other thing that we're seeing now, the buckets of, is the agency struggling a great deal with the whole remand versus yes. vacature issue. Yes. Remand, the policy is, okay, we're going to go back and we're going to rethink this. Yes. It's a thing that may not be in effect now, but we're going to reformulate it in some way. Vacature, as the name applies, it's completely off the books. Yeah. And either something that had been regulated before is no longer or if it was regulated in a different way, it would revert back to a prior regulatory regime. Yeah. Well, the agency is absolutely, the agencies, plural, are absolutely struggling with this, and they're getting different reactions. Remember I told you about all the court cases and the Department of Justice trying to figure out what do we do with all these court cases? Well, (laughs) perfect example, just recently, EPA had certain air rules moved to remand back to the agency because it found some things that it said were inconsistent with or with which it disagreed. Right. It was at the appellate court, not the trial court. The appellate court said, sure. Yeah. And it remanded the rule back to the agency. The CEQ regulations, by contrast, <laughs> the agency yeah. made a motion to remand, say, hey, there's some things we're rethinking and we're going to do stuff. And the plaintiffs, environmental groups, opposed the motion to remand because they want it completely vacated and yes. they want the older NEPA rules before September of 2020 back yes. in place. And that litigation is still ongoing. And so every regulation is, has to be viewed differently depending on the agency's decision on what it wants to do. If there's a court case, how the courts are allowing or not allowing the agency to do those things. It's right. kind of remarkable. And as we predicted in our last discussion, the last kind of bucket, the Congressional Review Act, yeah. Hasn't been triggered once. Not one time. Yeah. Not, not I, yeah. once not one time. yet. And, yeah. you know, it played out exactly as we thought. You know, the, the yeah. margin is so close. 
in the Senate, and it's getting closer by in the House by the day. I think yes. yeah. Pelosi's margin is like four or five now. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Um, trying to get a CRA measure through is almost impossible. And yeah. if uh, the Democrats want to use their political capital on other stuff, probably not going to be on an individual regulation right. uh, under right. the Congressional Review Act. And there is some talk that the last administration's uh, methane rules, the air yes. emission methane rules, could right. be subject to the CRA. There were some rumors about that, but at least so far it hasn't advanced. Right. So this whole dynamic of you know, where do we go? Do we revert? Do we do something new? Do we reset yeah. completely? If so, how is playing out, you know, on a daily basis. The one thing I would say I'm, I've been more surprised, yeah, Nick, is that I think a lot of people thought that the administration would be very comfortable with going back and just say, okay, we're just going to go back to the regulations the way they were. Right. And what's become readily apparent is that the policy initiatives that the agency is advancing largely in the areas of climate and yes. equity yes. mean that even if they favored the old regulatory regime compared to the, the rules that were put in place over the last four years, that's still not enough for them because right. they want the whole nature of the rules and the way regulations are enforced done differently. So I think where a lot of people thought, well, there'll be you know, you know, repeals, rescission, and we'd go back. What we're finding is no, the administration is now taking advantage of this opportunity, not just to eliminate the old rules that they didn't like from the prior administration, but to now reshape even rules that they might prefer better to include some of these policy initiatives now. And so that's requiring a lot more work yeah. uh, and a lot more effort on the part of the agency. But now... You know, people are largely in place and that's what they're starting to do. Yeah, which is, like I say, it's going to be a really, really interesting four years. And I think it's it's a really great point that uh, that we're it's not just going backwards. There's also a push to move forward. And so they have a plan, right? But, you know, as we're talking, sometimes that plan doesn't quite work. And so you mentioned the CEQ case. And I mean, I would call that a curveball, right? I don't think anybody expected that to happen. But here we are. And so... Can you give us just a little bit more background on that specific case and where that may end up and when it may get my final results? No, absolutely. So there are now two motions pending in front of the court. Okay. The first one is what's called summary judgment. That's the motions that you file in an administrative procedure act case to decide the case. It's not decided on witnesses. It's decided on paper. Okay. And so the summary judgment has been fully briefed by the plaintiffs, the environmental groups, and by the government. But yeah. then about a month or so ago, the government moved to remand the regulations back to CEQ. Right. And the same thing they've been saying in many different courts. Yeah, we want to rethink this, and you know, we have a process in place, and we want to go ahead and do that. Just let us do it, Judge. Yeah. But, so they need a motion to remand. And that's right. what the plaintiffs opposed. The reason they opposed it, they said, was that, look, we're glad that you're rethinking this. That's wonderful. Yeah. But since the new rules were put in place in September, and every day since more and more projects are being initiated and more NEPA reviews are being initiated under these new rules, a remand in and of itself doesn't fix that. Right. What rules are going to apply? Right now, if an agency says they're applying the new rules, the plaintiff said, we're harmed by that. Because right. those are the rules that we don't like and the various aspects of the rules with which we disagree. So there's any, they listed about 
you know, two dozen, I think was their number, but it, admittedly it's growing yeah, day, yeah, day by day, of course, of course, you know, new projects, new environmental impact statements being initiated. Yeah. And so they went to the court and said, no, it's not enough for them to remand. They haven't announced what they're going to do for right. these projects. Are they going to say, apply the old rules? If a project started with the old rules, but switched, what are you going to do? The new projects, yeah. there's too much uncertainty. We're harmed by that. Tell them, no, it's not enough. It has to be vacated. So they opposed the motion to remand and they said, judge, you have to rule on summary judgment. And what's yeah. really funny about the situation from a lawyer's perspective is the parties are going to court very soon. Yes. And the judge has both motions on the docket. <laughs> so the government's going to be standing up saying why it should be remanded. The plaintiffs are going to be standing up saying why they should win and should be vacated. And right. then the judge is going to have to figure all that out. Now, in the ordinary course, uh, an invitation to remand yes. is great for a judge. Why? Because I don't have to decide. <laughs> right. 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 I'm just sending yeah, it back. Yeah. Yeah, and then absolutely. you do what you need to do, agency. And if the plaintiffs are still upset, you come back to me. But meanwhile, I I can get to I can my get other rid of it. Doctor, yes, yes, exactly. Right? I have enough to do. Right? Yes. You know, if I don't have to write an opinion, why should I write an opinion? <laughs> but this judge, you know, has been managing the case in a way where he's denied motions for extension when the new administration came in, like we talked about last time. Yeah. Now setting oral argument on both motions. He's saying he's still working on it. So the curveball is the best way to put it. And I don't think anybody still knows exactly how it's going to go. But one right. thing that happened, though, Nick, is yeah. in the intervening time, CEQ chair Brendan Mallory was confirmed by the Senate. Right. Just last week. Uh, so yeah. she's now in place and she's there. My speculation for a long time was that as far as the September 2020 rules, CEQ was waiting until the leadership was in place to announce a Federal Register notice, what it intended to do with the new regulations. Gotcha. Okay. That could still happen. It could happen before this oral argument or shortly thereafter. Yeah. Heck, they could announce it at the oral argument. <laughs> right, right, right. For all we know. And so there are any number of people who are calling me every day and say, hey, I'm involved in this project. What should I do? What yeah. rules should I apply and why? Yeah. And so what I've been telling people is to start on the assumption that the new rules are still in effect. Right. Because it would be a lot easier to revert to the system. I think that everybody knew, you yes. know, in terms of something other than to then not. Because right. what if the judge takes three, four months to decide? Exactly. You know, what if the government does? You know, so just start on the new rules. And if you find out in a month or two that the CEQ says, yeah, we're still going to, you know, how do you do a cumulative effects analysis, for example, as opposed to not? Then you're simply going back to what you did in the past. And I think there's very little loss. Procedurally, I don't think there's very much loss if you just assume the new rules until you hear otherwise. Yeah. The other thing that the CQ will have to announce is what the agencies will or will not have to do because their deadline for issuing their own internal NEPA regulations, it's coming up. Yeah. Under the yeah. new regulations, they had 12 months from September. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So every agency, you know, needs to hear from CQ, you know, please put that on hold, you know, we're going to, so they're all, I am betting solid money that there's not a lot of people spending a lot of time inside these agencies rewriting their regs right now. Because right. I think everyone's anticipating that there's going to be another notice and more changes. But for existing projects, for new projects, for projects that are being evaluated that may have been included 
for internal agency guidance and regulations. Everybody's waiting to see what CEQ says. And yeah. my sense is CEQ would rather say something than have a judge tell them what to do. Right, right. But on the other hand, if if they feel that they're not ready and the judge vacates the September 2020 rule, that might be a big favor. Yeah. 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 Right. Yeah. (laughs) You made the decision for me, judge. I guess the rule vacated and there we go. Um, Just like the DC circuit vacated the clean power plan, you know, from the Trump rule and allowed the Biden administration to start from scratch. It made their job much easier. (laughs) That's possible with the CEQ regulations as well. It's just, it's everything now with timing. How quick will the judge rule? A month, two months, three months. How quick will CEQ act? One month, two months, right away. Right, <laughs> you know, right. So this is all converging. But my prediction is that there will be clarity on the application of the new rule versus the old rules, new projects, agency, internal guidance and regs, no later than 4th of July. So gotcha. very interesting. And it's, you know, oftentimes in Administrative Procedure Act cases, oral arguments, a little bit of a you know, anticlimax because you're right. Writing, you know, it's all there. It's based on the record, and it's you're just reiterating things for the judge. You're trying to make a persuasive case, but it's usually yeah. not won or lost at oral argument. Right. This oral argument's going to be different. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. This, so. this is an APA argument that I really like to hear. I, I think yeah. it's actually kind of yeah. exciting. So uh, stay yeah. tuned, and for those who follow the NAP uh, website, I'm sure that we'll have uh, updates through the website and through the NEPA committee. Yeah, absolutely. And it's a crazy time to be, to follow these, these regs. I think it's really important. Really, really good point you made. Because like I say, the agencies had 12 months to do it. You know, it's like, what do they do? You know, if it doesn't get rescinded, they better have a plan. So yeah, it's a really good point. You also mentioned there's a flurry of new appointees to agencies. You know, it's an, actually quite a diverse group. You know, the, half the president's cabinet are women, majority are people of color. Are there any that stick out in your mind that, you know, for our environmental professionals listening that we need to pay attention to and to follow? Definitely. I, I mean, I think you have to start high on the list with Secretary Howland at, at Interior. Yes. yes. Um, the emphasis of its mission, uh, the Department of Interior's mission on conservation, preservation, and management of federal lands, I don't know how much I could emphasize how different it's going to be, not just in terms of the kinds of projects it will uh, advance, trying to get as many renewable energy projects uh, you know, done as quickly as possible. They're moving so quickly on uh, wind energy off the Atlantic coast and offshore, uh, managing the OCS you know, so differently, dealing with not just whether there will be additional natural resource extraction, oil and gas on federal lands, but also the cleanups and the yeah. dealings with existing facilities on the outer continental shelf. You know, the, the notions of decommissioning and cleanups really were moribund over the last four years. And I could see that picking up tremendously now because there's also, as a lot of our listeners know, there's a lot of opportunities with decommissioning of some of these facilities, not just, you know, pollution concerns, but a lot of these old facilities become, you know, marine reef uh, resources yeah. in a yeah. way that's yeah. that's fascinating to see, but obviously there's also areas where they want to make sure that there are no adverse effects by remaining facilities or pipes and things like that. Yeah. So I cannot stress enough how much different the Department of the Interior is going to be in the policies uh, dealing with federal lands, the initiatives of renewable energies, and obviously the elevation 
of how tribal resources and coordination and consultation with tribes are going to be handled by this new agency. It's so different. So that's one. And then obviously, Administrator Regan in uh, EPA. Yeah. Um, yeah. I think that from the very first day, he made it very clear how equity and environmental justice is going to be driving yeah. uh, so much of the mission at EPA. And his counterparts over at the Environment Division at the Department of Justice, they proposed changing the name of that division <laughs> to include environmental justice in the name of the division. Yeah. So it's no longer going to be the you know, Environment and Natural Resources Division, the, the Environmental Justice and Natural Resources Division. So, right. I mean, it, it couldn't be more evident that the leadership changes and, and the folks that have come in now and uh, now largely in place have hit the ground running to make these changes and to incorporate these policies into each and every day work at those agencies. So it's important to understand and see what is going to be expected Yes. You know, from environmental professionals to put these policies into their work on a day-to-day basis. And it's not necessarily altogether clear how that is to be done yet, but we've gotten some inkling already. So, for example, EPA recently sent out guidance uh, recommending new software, new Mm -hmm. technical software on how best to track impacts to environmental justice communities. Oh, wow. That's great. So there, I mean, it's not just, you know, we want to think about it more and you need to do it more. That's, that's yeah. like the baseline, but we're also going to be putting out and pointing you in the direction of yeah. resources. Yeah. Like here's on, how you do it. Yeah, on how, exactly. On how yeah. to do it. And wow. so from a professional standpoint, I think, you know, folks have always said, okay, we've got to think about these things. Yes. But I, I think if you, injected truth serum into them, they would say, we thought about it, but only so much. (laughs) Uh, uh, You know, unless it was bloody obvious, unless the the impacts were so clearly disproportionate, or unless there was some, you know, tremendously obvious impact affecting one community as opposed to another, it was largely creating data, showing some of the demographics, and then we moved on. And and that's not going to be the case anymore. Now it's going to be a much deeper dive. You know, yeah. I think the notion of health effects and health effects analyses is going to be paramount again and how that's incorporated into the analysis of environmental effects affecting you know, disadvantaged communities. And I, I think it's a topic that's been, you know, keeps coming up on the show. So is this something that we're going to see change immediately? Is this kind of gradually over the next four years, we're going to get more and more of a stronger focus or how is that really going to play out? You're going to see it immediately. Immediately. Wow. Immediately. And it's going to start in ways that are not necessarily related to the typical, you know, EJ analysis under the old executive orders or things like that. It's going yeah. to start even through what the government funds and the grants yeah. that the government doles out and the projects that the government supports. In the transportation infrastructure space, for example, yeah. you know, the emphasis on urban transportation you know, alternative transportation, access to minority and disadvantaged communities. Yeah. It's going to be huge. The USDOT just announced the, the latest version of what had been the Tiger grants under Obama became the Build grants under President Trump and now have been renamed again <laughs> uh, called the RAISE grants, R-A-I-S-E, and they built in equity into the agenda for these, for these grants. 
And so, you know, it's a billion dollars worth of grants. The notice of funding availability just went out, but it's absolutely stressing those sorts of projects that can serve a communities that otherwise may not have the same access to mobility, enhance that kind of service, or at least even out how some of those communities get around. And so there's nothing more clear on how this is going to affect the community than how the money is handed out. So it's not going to be gradual, Nick. It is, yeah. it is immediate. And I think maybe some of the gradual things are going to be the expectations on how some of these impacts are going to be assessed. Right, right. You know, what technology should be used, what standards are going to be applied, and so forth. Because that's going to take time. Because there's no one way to do it. There's no yeah. ex, you know, one accepted protocol. But some other things are going to happen right away. Right, right away. Right, yeah. and. Man, like I say, I know we are almost out of time, and I, I hate to cut the conversation short because it's such a really so interesting. So Biden has released his two trillion dollar infra- infrastructure plan. Many of our listeners are NEPA practitioners, and, you know, that work with various DOTs. So, how ambitious is Biden's plan, and how does its introduction inform our audience about the future of transportation projects in America? It's remarkably ambitious, and I think that there are at least two or three major ways to think about it. First is the think about it as a seesaw and the balance of the seesaw. Traditionally, with respect to transit versus highway, uh, I'll say transit, passenger rail, those sorts of things, and a highway, the seesaw tilted very heavily towards the highway, maybe like 90, 10, 85, 15. That seesaw is going to be getting closer to even, you know, 70, 30, 65, 35 in terms of what things are funded and the sorts of things that are being promoted, you know, multimodal projects that provide different options for those communities that are not dependent on vehicles and also to advance the climate change initiative. We talked about equity, but also the climate yeah. change initiative. So that's right. bucket one. Think about the seesaw, you know, transit passenger versus highway. Bucket yeah. two, think about discretionary versus non-discretionary. Mm-hmm. Non-discretionary or formula funding is the money that typically went you know, from the gas tax to the state DOTs and then projects that are on the various state transportation plans would be funded trickling down from the state to yeah. local communities, including you know, large cities. So yeah. Springfield to Chicago, Albany to New York City, Tallahassee to Miami, you fill the blank. Right, right. And then there's a small sliver of discretionary grants where there were standards like these raised grants yeah. that promoted certain initiatives, certain priorities that people could apply to. And the idea was, is that the local communities know best what they need. They not only always can get enough money from the state capital DOTs for their projects. And so this is an opportunity to advance those. The seesaw has been like 90-10 formula versus discretionary. Again, under this proposal, a great majority of the money that's been requested and in the 650 billion dollars of transportation is more in the form of discretionary specific types of projects or things that the the dot and the the president want to advance that would not necessarily be controlled through formula funding right so that balance would change tremendously and that's a huge sea change as well and then finally the other balance on the seesaw you would see you know policy initiatives you know like climate and livability and stuff like that versus, you know, your more typical congestion relief, capacity, you know, that type of thing. Again, with the seesaw, much more heavily weighted towards capacity and congestion 
Yeah. And much less so towards these policy initiatives. Again, boom, the CISO right. is going to shift. Right. And, and projects that can help advance climate, you know, the whole EV infrastructure portion of the infrastructure plan. Again, mobility that isn't uh, automobile dependent, et cetera. All that is going to be much weighted much more heavily. So the balance on the seesaws yeah. from the proposal changed tremendously, and it is transformational. It's not just cutting around the edges. They are trying to change how these projects are thought, how these projects are planned, and how these projects are built. Wow. Yeah, that's a great point. Do you think they're actually going to be able to do it? Is it going to go through, you think? Well, as always, the question is, where's the money coming from? Right. And the administration's uh, plan relies on increasing the corporate tax structure yes. for the most part yes. uh, and does not touch the gasoline tax. Right. Does not touch it and has not, at least so far, committed to transition to vehicle miles traveled. So, in okay. other words, a different sort of user fee instead of at the gas pump. Gotcha. You know, there'd be a tracking how many miles you drive a month and you'd be charged. Nor does it touch the transition to electric vehicles by putting some sort of tax or fee on electric vehicles, <laughs> right? Right, that don't use right. gasoline at all. At all, yeah. So it's it's all about as typical as in Washington, it's all about the money. Yes. You know, where's it going to come from? So right now, it is not clear at all that the Democrats have enough votes in the Senate to keep all fifty votes together to advance exactly the proposal that President Biden has put forward. It's not clear at all. Similarly, in the House of Representatives, there's been 17 or 18 Mid-Atlantic Democrats, Democrats who said, "Hey, we want to put in a repeal of the salt tax, the you know the the property tax repeal from the Trump administration. We want that put back in for our clients, and they're all Democrats, and so they want yeah. that part of the infrastructure bill. Well, if they don't get it, then Nancy Pelosi doesn't have a majority. Right. Wow. So it is not." clear at all what the path is and if the president and Congress, uh, Senator Schumer, would be able to advance his proposal through the reconciliation process like they did for the Rescue Act. Yeah, absolutely. And well, like I say, we're out of time here. But like I say, Fred, we'll have to have you back on to kind of update us as these things come through. But is there anything else you want to leave with our listeners before we get you out of here? Well, I think that I've never seen a time where checking in with your agency of concern, whatever your discipline is, if you're in the water world, if you're in the species world, you know, if you're in the air world, whatever, where checking in on the agency is more required on a daily basis. Yeah, yes, absolutely. I have never seen a, a time like this. I mean, there's going to be new policies, new guidance, new announcements. And then the other thing for environmental professionals to consider, there's going to be so much activity on the regulation front. I think in, in years past, environmental professionals said to themselves, well, we'll see what the agency does and we'll just adapt. You know, we'll just, you know, we'll do what the new rules are. Just tell me what yeah. the rules are and I'll deal with it. <laughs> right, right. I think there needs to be a mind shift, a change for any EP members. I think you need to be in there commenting to the agency. Yeah. I think you need to tell them, how is this going to work in the real world? Yeah, you want this kind of analysis, but are there practical implications on you know, applying that analysis in a way that are difficult. Is there, yeah. what's your level of confidence in the kind of data that's going to be developed for equity considerations, for example? 
I think the agency needs to hear this directly from our members. Yes. And sometimes it's not like a pro or, you know, for or against, right? Yes. You don't yes. have to be for or against the bill, but you just have to tell the agency, how's this going to work in the real world? Yeah. We're the ones that know that. We're the ones that know how this works. Here's what we think some of the implications are. You can decide what you want to do. Like I said, we're not pro or con. Right. But you should know how it really matters to us for the people that are going to do the analysis that you're asking us to do. So check every day, number one. And number two, talk to management, talk to your leadership of your firms, your companies and say, hey, should we be in there commenting on these regulations, even if in years past we had not been? Yeah, that's a great, great point. And Fred, thank you so much for your time. It's always a pleasure catching up with you and we'll have to have you back on for sure. I look forward to it. Have a great spring. All right. Thank you. And that's our show. Thank you so much, Fred, for being here and coming back today. It was really great to hear your perspective on public involvement, I think, as I was not (laughs) here. So I will hear it later. Be sure to check us out next Friday and every Friday. And don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review before you take off for today. Thanks, everybody. Bye.